0: Speaking of our amazing kids at Awaken Church, uh, a lot of families are huddled up right now and um, going a little bit stir-crazy, probably. But uh, last week, Richard did a really cool activity with the kids, and uh, I thought if I didn't do it this week as well, then all of Awaken Kids would be mad at me, and it really matters to me what kids think of me, like a lot. And so we're going to have an activity today. Uh, so get out your paper, get out your pencils or crayons or markers, and uh, here's the picture I want you to draw. It's going to be a beach and a sunrise over the beach. So waves, wind, birds, the sunrise coming up over on a brand new day. So that's that's what we're gonna do, that's the activity. So go ahead and start drawing. Uh, cannot wait to see them. Uh, parents, if you would, take a picture of, uh, of the picture that they take and email or text it to awakenqna at gmail.com. And we're actually gonna take a look at them at the end and, and go through a set of those pictures at the end. Um, one quick note, just take a picture of the picture itself. Um, we want to protect the privacy of a lot of kids in Awakened Church, and so uh, we don't want to uh, post uh, pictures of kids on the, on the YouTube feed because it's going to live on there for a while. So just a picture of the picture, and then send it in, and we'll take a look at it. Um, guys, I know it has been a weird few weeks. I know you're working from home, or some folks may have gotten laid off or temporarily furloughed from their jobs, and I know it's been hard, and I know it's been difficult. Um, and I just want to tell you, I feel that, I understand. Um, and, uh, and your church family is here for you. So if, if there's anything that you need, please reach out to your home group leaders, reach out to a deacon, reach out to one of the pastors, reach out to someone you trust in the church because the body of Christ is here to be the body of Christ to the world and to each other. So if, if you have a need, please reach, to, um, please reach out to your body believers here at Awakened Church. One thing that I've been really encouraged by is that God has seen his people through significantly worse throughout all of history. That the same God who saw Corey ten Boom through the Holocaust, the same God who was with David as he was being pursued by Saul, the same God that, uh, that, that helped um, people throughout persecution and plague. Um, Anne Frank was hiding in her attic for not two weeks, not two months, but for two years. And, uh, and, and our God is the same God that sees, sees people through tremendous hardship throughout all of history. Um, and he's called us to be here to minister to um, people in fear. And that's, that's a very common feeling that's happening right now is that there's a lot of fear. And uh, I just want to encourage you, trust God first and don't do anything stupid. Trust God and wash your hands. Trust God and stay home. Uh, washing your hands out of fear is, is not what God wants you to do. He wants you to wash your hands out of love for the people around you. He wants, you're supposed to stay home out of love for the people around you. One passage that's has been really encouraging for me is Psalm 46, verses one through three. It says, God is our refuge and strength an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God has placed us on this earth to be agents of his peace the people who are fearful, and right now a lot of people are fearful, um, and so our goal right now is to reach this generation and to be ministers to this generation. Okay, so today we are going through; we're continuing a series through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Frank and Andrew and Richard have uh, gone through Matthew five and six, and we're picking up in Matthew seven today. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to it. Matthew seven. We're going to go verses one all the way through fourteen. Um, as you're turning there, I'll tell you, there's been a theme throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's that Jesus has been teaching us what it means to be members of his kingdom. He's been teaching us what it means to live inside a kingdom in relationship with God. And there's been three areas he's been focusing on. Restoring relationship with our own selves, restoring relationship with others around us, and restoring relationship with God because all three of those are broken in the fall. All three of those have been damaged and crippled. That's why we have conflict within ourselves. We have conflict with others. We have conflict with God. When God adopts children to his family, he says, those are healed. And this is what it looks like to be healed. This is not the process you go through to be healed, but once you were healed through Christ, this is what it looks like. Here's how you behave. Here's how you process your own soul, others around you, and with God. And he's come to restore that. Um as we get started, and uh, I, I just wanna pose one question. And if, you have a, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write it down. Um, but this is, this is a question I want you to meditate on even after the, the sermon is over. Just be chewing on it the rest of this afternoon. When do I feel most like I deserve something? When do I feel most like I deserve something? When does that, the, the deserve muscle start flexing when you say, I deserve this thing? once you have that written down, I just want you to write why. To so be thinking about when it is and then also why it is. So as, we, as you're pondering through that, be paying attention because that's a the theme that we'll come back to. I'd love to read through the passage that we're going to cover today in its entirety and then we'll break it up into smaller sections and go through it. But I just want to read through and please pay attention because a lot of times um, we ask God to speak to us and we ask God to tell us what's on his heart and what he wants. And he's told us, this is Christ speaking to us about what it means to be in his kingdom. And so this is, this is God answering that prayer. This is God saying, here is what I want. This is how I want you to look. This is how I want you to behave. Not as a means to get to me, but now that you are accepted and approved and right with God, this is what it looks like to be in right relationship. So please, uh, we're just going to read through this and, uh, and then we'll get started. So Matthew 7, verses 1 through 14. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with a measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help. Please prepare our hearts for your word. Please give us a peace in times of anxiety. Please help us to trust in you first and foremost. Please help us look around and not see what we can get from others, but what we can give to others. Father, I ask that you would guard my mouth from saying anything That is not supposed to be said today. And I pray that anything that you have on on someone's heart who's listening, that that seed that's planted would grow and that you'd be faithful and that they would be tender to see that grow into fruition, into fruit that blesses many people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we'll start with verses one through two in Matthew 7. Do not judge or you'll be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is legitimately to me, one of the most frightening things Jesus ever says, that whatever measure I use to judge others, that's the standard that will be used to measure and judge me. And the reason it's so frightening to me is this. Let me just paint a picture of where we stand in the gospel as brothers and sisters in Christ. The law existed in part to show us that we could never measure up to the standard of perfection. There was a standard that we were held to and there's we never measured up to it. And God made allowances and allowances and allowances, but we never measured up to it. Enter Christ. Christ comes and he not only meets the entire standard of the law, but he sacrifices himself as that perfect atonement for sins. And he turns to us and he says, I know you could never measure up, but I'll let you ride with me. I'll let my righteousness stand in place of your righteousness. So that when God sees you, he doesn't see you and the sin you committed. He sees me in righteousness. And so you're covered by me. I'm paying a tab when you were broke. So here we are standing in the shadow of Christ as a family representing the body of Christ here on earth. And I pull out this ruler and I try to hold my ruler up to another brother and say, oh, you didn't measure up. Oh, I, I he, look, this is the rule. And you didn't measure up. And God's saying, look, you can introduce a law of your own if you want to, or you can introduce that standard to another brother in Christ, but it will never benefit you. It's you pulling a pin on a grenade that you can't throw. It, it literally only hurts you. And so the implication here is that the standard we ought to use when judging others is the same standard that we have received from God, that God has told us, I see Christ when I see you. And so when you look at a brother or sister in Christ, you see Christ. And that's the standard you hold them to. Not that they need to measure up, but that they are covered in their not measuring up by Christ, just like you are, just like I am. Jesus goes on to talk about how we ought to live in relationship with other people. And I should note that these are house rules. In other words, these are rules for people who are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Uh, This is not a standard of ethics to non-believers who are not uh, believers in Christ. Uh, The call to believers is now that you are alive, this is how you should live. The call to non-believers is live. You can't expect certain conduct from someone who is dead. The only thing that you should be saying to someone who is dead is love and Christ so that they will live. When they live, then you say, this is how we ought to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is how we behave. So when we're talking about brothers and sisters, um, he's talking about brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Of, in the kingdom. There's two key points about this next section uh, that I want to call out. I'll read it and then we'll call out the two points. But why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Two key call-outs here. The first is that the first response from you at seeing sin in a brother or sister in Christ, the first response from me when seeing sin in a brother or sister in Christ needs to be self-examination the first move you make is to examine yourself. It's to get low, to humble yourself and see God, where is this sin that I'm seeing present in me? Or where is their sin present in me? Because when, I, when that agitation of someone else's sin bothers me, that should be a trigger every time that my sin agitates God and agitates other people. And so this is one way that God uses even faults within his own body of believers to continue to do good. Because every time you see your brother sin or every time you see your brother stumble, your first response, get low, humble yourself and examine closely your own heart before you bring anything up to your brother or sister. The second is that the goal of correction within the body of Christ is never condemnation. It's never judgment. It's never passing a sentence. It's healing. You remove a speck out of someone's eye so that they can see clearly again. And so the second step is always, do I genuinely want this person's healing and restoration? And if not, go back in prayer. Humble yourself before God. Go back into your closet and just pray and say, God, why is there hardness? Why don't I have compassion for this person who's frustrating me? Where is there a wall or a stronghold that you're trying to get through? Because if I'm going to bring correction, it must be for healing. It has to be for healing. And if that compassion is not present, if it doesn't move you compassionately for them, then you might not be the right person or this might not be the right time. And God still wants to do something inside your heart. Uh, one example of this, and I got his permission to uh, share this uh, before I before I wrote it into my notes. One example of, uh, of this for me was when I first started coming to Awaken Church. I got to know someone uh, named uh, Charles Newmeyer, And uh, Charles and I are very different personalities and uh, as a result, early on, he drove me up the wall. Um, he, uh, just his personality, his boisterousness, his, uh, he's, he's just very, uh, uh, he's very, very present and <laughs> a little bit vocal sometimes. And, uh, and it just rubbed me the wrong way. And I internally, I just kind of put up a wall and I said, I don't know about this joker. I'm not touching it. And then, and just kind of put up a wall. Through a series of events, we ended up in the same um, study, the same Bible group together. And uh, I started to get to know more of his story, and started to understand more about who he is and what God has done in him. And I will tell you, God moved such compassion in my heart. There are few people in Awakened Church that I have more uh, love and care and respect for than Andrew, or than uh, than uh, than Charles. You too, Andrew, but um, but uh, for Charles. And it's it's from being able to have compassion and actually want the good of the other person. If you don't want the good of the other person, then you need to go into self-examination mode and see what God's doing. It's actually a third thing in this relationship with brothers and sisters that, uh, that Jesus calls out, and uh, it picks up in verse six. So he says, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs, for if you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn to tear you to pieces. Wisdom does not correct Everyone, all the time. And wisdom does not correct every single sin it sees. Wisdom is able to discern when someone is ripe for correction and when someone is not ripe for correction. Um, And it takes discernment and it takes patience. I've always really loved this verse because it takes a very lofty principle of wisdom and discernment and timing. And, uh, and knowledge of someone and compassion and connection, and it distills it down into this very earthly guttural metaphor. Uh, imagine walking up to a herd of pigs and you have a handful of pearls and you just chuck them at them. Uh, a pig is not going to stop and say, wow, this is so valuable. Thank you for giving me this gift because a pig, a pig cannot discern the difference between a rock and a pearl they are exactly the same to a pig. And so you've just thrown a handful of rocks at pigs trying to enjoy their dinner who would just as soon run you over as keep on eating slop. And uh, this is actually a very common idea throughout scripture. There's two sections in Proverbs that I wanna call out. Proverbs 25:12 says, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Correction is an incredibly valuable thing to the person who is receptive and open to hear it. Because love does not let people wander. Love doesn't just let people walk off cliffs or harm themselves or harm others. Love protects and cherishes and builds. And so um, to someone who is receptive to correction, from someone humble and genuinely wanting their good, correction is this rich treasure. Proverbs 9, 8 also says, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Humble correction is valuable, but to the person who is is receptive to it. If you recognize that a person is not receptive to correction, it may not be the right time or you might not be the right person to do it. And so your response then is pray and petition God to soften their heart because he is the one who softens hearts. Um, if someone is completely closed off to correction, even the most humble, genuine correction from someone who wants their good will be perceived as condemnation, as judgment, as being written off uh, for no good. And so um, wisdom is able to delineate and discern when the right time is. And if you recognize it's not the right time, it's okay. Wisdom is patient and wisdom is kind. And you, need to, and you need to be praying and petitioning for that person, knowing that God also wants their heart to be softened. And so when you agree with God, it's something that he wants, and you are praying for what God wants, then you are praying in God's will. And so keep doing it attentively and patiently until it happens. This brings us to verse seven. It goes, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We've been learning what it means to be inside the kingdom, right? In this kingdom, there is a king. And it's not me and it's not you. It's God. And this king is also our father. And this is what he's trying to pull out. He's saying that instinctual love that a father has for his children, when they say, hey, I'm kind of hungry. Can I, have a, can I have something to eat? A father doesn't give them rocks and say, chew on this. And when they say, hey, I'm really thirsty, a father doesn't just give them a bag of sand and say, deal with it. A father's love is toward his son and his daughter, and so he gives them good things naturally and instinctively. Uh, I was at the dinner table the other day, and uh, uh, Caroline had made a plate of waffle fries, and uh, we were enjoying some delicious waffle fries. And Sam finished his plate. Sam is my oldest; he's two and a half years old, and uh, he finished his plate of waffle fries. And uh, he turned to me and he and he asked me for a bite of mine, and so I broke off a little piece and I handed it to him, and uh, and that's the end of the story. It's not even a story, it's just a thing that happens because of course it happens. If your son just gives him a piece of waffle fry, it's, it's not a big deal. Um, what, this is a complete side note, what cheered my heart was that he immediately took a little bit and then gave it to Charlie and then gave some back to me. And so every time I gave him some, he gave it to me and it was teaching him this, this concept of sharing, which was really beautiful to see. Um, fast forward to yesterday. So the Hopkins um, went to Sonati's Bakery to support local business and uh, they got some uh, eclairs and donuts, and they brought them by the house, and they dropped one off in the, in the driveway, and, you know, went out and, and, uh, and grabbed an eclair out of the box. And uh, side note, go forth and do likewise. Support local business if you're able to, uh, because a lot of them don't have the ability to, to weather through a long period of, of shutdown, and so they're relying on a lot of that. And then when you do, drop some off at my house. I will eat all food dropped off in my driveway, no questions asked 100% of the time. So go get some local stuff, Drop off a portion of my house. That'd be a fantastic arrangement. So I have this eclair, and it's amazing. And, uh, and I'm eating some of it, and Sam asks me for some of my eclair. And, uh, and I say no. And uh, you might be thinking to yourself, how can you say no to your son when he's asking for such a good thing? Or how could you keep it from him? And the answer is, I can keep it from him very easily, because my arms are longer than his are, and so he's reaching, and I'm just, I'm doing this number, and it was very, very easy to keep it from him. But what you may not know is that Sam is both uh, gluten intolerant and lactose intolerant. And so he can't eat, he can't eat uh, gluten and he can't eat anything with uh, lactose in it. And an is packed full of both. And so uh, to him, it would have looked like love or giving what he's asked. To me, I know that if I had given it to him today, his stomach would be upset. Uh, he would be in a lot of pain. It would be very uncomfortable, messy for him. And so love, restraint, even a delicious thing, from my son, because I know him. I know him better than he knows himself. A lot of times we ask God for good things. We ask him for things that seem good to us. We ask him for things when we say, God, this is bread. I'm I'm asking for bread. And the reality is, is that God knows us well enough to know the thing we are saying, God, can you give me this bread is actually a rock. And it's love to say, no, you, you can't eat that. You're not allowed to eat that. Or yes, that looks good, but I know that it's not good for you. Um. think back to your 17-year-old self and how many prayers you prayed that thanks to the passage of time, you can look back on and say, thank you, Lord, for not answering that prayer. A lot of times time gives us perspective. We say, oh God, that was a very fervent, passionate prayer that I had then. Thank you for saying no, because I can see why you would have said no. Um, and then use that relational equity that you build up, recognizing that God watches over and cares for you and says yes to the right things and no to the wrong things, even when they seem confusing, to inform our future decisions so that when we're petitioning God and he just seems to be saying no, for us to be able to understand that God knows us, that he knows us best. Um, When job loss comes suddenly, it's really easy for our first prayer to be for a job. Um, When a health crisis hits, or When you're sick, it's very easy and instinctive to pray immediately for healing. What is not as instinctive is the first prayer being, God, what do you want to accomplish in this job loss? Or what are you trying to accomplish in this sickness? Where are you working? How can I be praying? And to pray that prayer first before jumping to say, God, oh, I know what you wanna do. You wanna give me another job, please do that. But to step back and say, God, Before you close this season, what are you trying to accomplish in this season that I should be paying attention to? Um, If Joseph's prayer was only for deliverance, then he would have missed what God was doing in Potiphar's house and in the prison and in Pharaoh's camp. If Saul's only prayer every time he was imprisoned was to be released from prison, he would have missed what God was doing in the prison, that he was there for the salvation of jailers and prisoners alike for that God's power and compassion to be demonstrated. And so when tragedy strikes, take a second and pray, God, what are you doing in this? What ought I to be praying for in this? There's some, uh, there some good things that I wanted to, to share with you. These are things that I found are almost always, if not always, the right thing to pray. And so if you're in a season where you're not sure what to pray or you're not sure what God's trying to do, here's some things that you can partner with God in prayer for. Pray that 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 people's heart will be turned back to God. He wants that. He does. Pray that we would rely on God first before anything else. Pray that we would have our eyes open to what God calls us to do. Pray that when God speaks, that we would obey quickly. And pray that God's people would know and follow his voice. This whole COVID-19 season that we're in right now, it's not chaos, it's a stirring. God is doing something. It looks like chaos, fear is easy, panic is easy, but God is doing something. And if, if we don't pay attention, we might miss it. And I don't want us to miss it. I want us to see what God is doing, partner with it and then execute it with diligence and faithfulness and excellence. And here's the promise that he gives. For those who seek him, he will be found. When you seek God's will, you will find it. He is not unknown. He is not hidden. Look for what he's doing and then agree with him in prayer. This brings us to probably the most well-known verse in the Bible outside of John 3, 16. That's the golden rule. And uh, it's so well-known because it not only sums up the entire Sermon on the Mount into a principle, It sums up everything that came before it and everything that comes after it into one principle. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The reason I cannot call in the logic that I deserve something from God is that he has already given me vastly beyond anything that I could have earned or deserved. And so for me to say, God, you owe me something is ludicrous. And the reason I can't, turn to my brother or sister in Christ and expect something that they owe me or uh, something that I deserve as a right uh, is ludicrous because we are both standing on equal footing in the shadow of Christ, covered by his righteousness, covered by his blood, so that when God looks at us, he sees Christ, that Christ has been made right with God and that we are co-heirs with him. So rather than me trying to get my way, rather than me trying to get things out of the people around me, my primary job, your primary job, is to seek others to see where they have need and to treat them like you would want to be treated. Uh, several weeks ago, Frank was going through the relationship series uh, here at the church. You're welcome to stream it online. You can listen to the audio version um, if you want to. Um, but one thing that he, he said that stood out to me was that in a relationship, as you're navigating those early stages, You could make a large list of rules, but we as people are so prone to bend rules or find ways around them, keep the technical rule and find a way around them. He says that's largely ineffective. What's more valuable is to create a set of principles, honor those principles or honor those values, and then whatever rules stem out of that, as long as they're supporting the value, let it be, because you're coming back to the value. The golden rule is like that. The golden rule is a principle that sums up 10,000 actions. Um, so that when we go and we say, hey, should I do this? We don't have to go through a logarithm or an algorithm of uh, various questions, yes, no, ifs, ands, or buts. It's, would I want someone to do that for me? Well, yeah, okay, then go do it. So if you want someone to check up on you, go check up on someone. If you want someone to bless you with a random act of kindness, man, do that. If you want someone to forgive you for a mistake you have matured past, do that if your heart yearns that you want someone to forgive you for a mistake that you're not even aware of, an offense you're not even sure realize that you've committed to someone else, then when that happens to you, pull in that standard of grace and say, God has covered it. Christ has paid it all, all to him I owe. But that's the principle we stand with. God's asking us to value others like we value ourselves, which kicks in this empathy that says, you and I, we're on equal footing. We both stand with unmerited grace in front of God. Um, A couple weeks ago, my wife and I um, had the chance to go on a vacation for the first time in two and a half years since uh, Sam was born. And uh, it was fantastic. Um, And uh, we got a a hotel right on the beach, this big window overlooking the ocean. And uh, one of those mornings, we were sitting there drinking coffee and the sun starts peeking up over the horizon and um, the sun starts shining. And you know that phenomenon when you're on the beach and the sun's right there on water level and uh, the stream of light across the water comes directly to you? Um, well, that image of sitting there watching the sunrise and that straight path made me realize there is, that there is one clear path back to the sun. And there are a thousand paths that don't lead to the sun, looking at this, which brings us into verse 13. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. There are are a thousand ways to miss it. And a lot of them are easy. A lot of them are very wide open pathways, um, especially in this COVID-19 pandemic that we're in the middle of, fear is natural and fear is easy, and everyone around you is probably feeling fear. Trusting God first is narrow, saying, before I get out of bed, before I check my Facebook feed, before I check my news feed, before I say, damage report, and just try to see what went wrong with the world today in the last 24 hours, that we go before God and we say, God, what are you doing today? How can I be part of it? How can I trust you and exhibit trust and love for you today? There is one path that leads to Christ. There's one path that leads to God, and it is Christ. And it's not hidden. He's made a way. There was not always a way. Christ is the way. Brothers and sisters, we do not deserve anything. And the reason we don't deserve anything is because we've not earned anything. The thing we've earned is actually death, but Christ has washed that away. And so for me to expect or to say, I deserve this for my brother or sister in Christ is introducing a standard of rule that Christ has already covered. But I think there's something intrinsically in our hearts that want to be judge, that want to stand in God's place. And that's the part that we need to put down And that's the part we need to sacrifice. But the trick of the kingdom is that everything that God asks you to lay down, everything that he asks you to sacrifice is raised to life again. There's an old saying, that says what God takes away with his left hand, he gets back with his right. And I have found that when God says no or not right now and you obey, it's like a seed dropping to the ground and it dies. It has to die. But once it dies and once it's planted in the kingdom, new life comes out of that, and it looks nothing like the seed you were begging for. It's new life, and it has this abundant life with it. And that's the path he's called us to. Anyone who walks this narrow path of following Christ first, trusting him first, will tell you, it is not easy at times. It is hard, but he has always met me, and he has always guided me, and he's always been there. And every time I've knocked, he's answered. And that's my encouragement to you, is before anything else, before you rely on anything else, trust God. Because he's a father, he is your father, and he cares for you deeply. Please do not fear. If you find that you're struggling with fear, if you find you're struggling with anxiety, please reach out to your home group leader, reach out to someone in our our church body, um, and we will be there for you. That's what we're meant to do, is to care for each other and then care for the world. And that's our goal. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, next week, Andrew Roberts is going to uh, continue um, for the foreseeable future. Everything is postponed. Church will continue to be online. And uh, 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 Andrew, you need, to, you need to wear a preaching jacket. If you don't, we'll have words. Um, thanks so much for everybody uh, chatting in the comment section. Um, I miss you guys, and I wish that we uh, wish that I'd give you all a big hug. Um, but we will get through this. We'll get through it together, and we'll get through it relying on God, not on the economy, not on the healthcare system, primarily, we will rely primarily on God and that he will use anything else in his tool bucket to care for us. Um, And the body of believers is, is the body of Christ here on earth. So if you need something, please reach out.